Welcome to episode 248 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast, a short episode on Saturn's opposition. I'm Chris, and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up the night sky, and this podcast is for anybody else who likes going out under the stars. On August 14th, Saturn will be at opposition. Shane, what does this mean to you? Well, um, it means a lot of things, but for like, I, I guess to like, um, summarize it for the amateur astronomer. This is the best night to look at Saturn. Um, mm. essentially it'll be, I think at Zenith or at its highest point at midnight, it's, uh, on, you know, closest to us, not that it's really that close, but, um, yeah, it'll be the, the best night for us to observe Saturn. Yeah, it culminates um, around midnight, so that's at its highest point. Doesn't quite get to the zenith, though. It, uh, no, yeah, zenith was a poor choice. Yeah, it's just in Capricornus. So, yeah, yeah I was watching a transit last night, and uh, I didn't actually put the telescope on. I was just looking at it naked eye while I was I was watching the aurora, and uh, yeah, I saw it sort of pass through. Had the telescope set up, I put the telescope on Jupiter, but it's just my comet catcher, and I'm still not quite in alignment. And it was super windy last night. It was like. My watch said it was 19 kilometer hour winds, but I bet you it was gusting to 35 K. So that's, that's way beyond marginal, but yeah. I have a little, little telescope on a great big steel tripod and, uh, it was okay at like whatever it was, 20 power or something like that, but I wasn't raising the power at all. Yeah. That wind can really make a mess of things pretty quick, especially the planet. So at opposition, that's when uh, the planet or whatever body we're looking at is going to be opposite the sun in the sky. So it's going to rise at sunset and it's going to set at sunrise. And so like Shane was saying, this usually marks the uh, best time for people to start looking at it because now Saturn's going to be moving into more of the evening sky, which is a little bit more convenient uh, for, for, you know, people uh, who are up in the evening uh, to look at versus those of us who, who tend to get up in the morning to do our, our planetary uh, observing. Um, and uh, also this year, um, yeah, in the Northern Hemisphere, just because of, uh, of of Saturn being in Capricornus, we've had to stay up pretty late this summer if you wanted to catch a mm -hmm. glimpse. So now as the uh, nights are getting uh, longer, then we, uh, we're going to have that Saturn moving in more and more into the evening sky as we lose a few minutes of, of daylight each day. So uh, mm -hmm. it gets to be a little bit easier to look at. It looks pretty dim to me, though. I mean, compared to like Saturn and Mars, it's, it's not that bright, eh? Uh, Saturn? Yeah, I was I was looking at all three of them last night, and yeah, oh, okay. it's definitely um, the much much dimmer than those two. So, yeah, yeah, than than Jupiter and Mars. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's definitely dimmer. Um, but uh, yeah, the, you know, this opposition that typically marks the point when you know my my official planetary season starts, just because, as you mentioned, it's far far easier to observe Saturn because you don't have to wake up early in the morning. And, uh, you know, uh, Jupiter and Mars will follow Saturn with their oppositions uh, later uh, in this calendar year. Um, but yeah, the, the view that I had at um, uh, Davin about a week or so ago, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I was using the, uh, my TSA 102 with the Bino viewer. And uh, it was just, you know, the, one of my favorite things in amateur astronomy is the first view of Saturn every year that I get. Mm -hmm. um, it's just, uh, it's so beautiful. And you know, when, when you have some background stars and it just looks like a photograph every time and, you know, the rings are still at a, a pretty good angle that there's a lot of detail to observe, although it's getting a little harder, 
um, to observe some of the detail within the rings, like some of the divides, uh, just because that angle uh, that the rings are at um, is starting to shrink a bit. And mm-hmm. I forget what year, but at some point soon, uh, those rings will be edge on and, uh, it's a neat observation, but you, you know, there's just not as much detail to see that when that happens. Yeah. I think they're about halfway there. I think at greatest extent, they're at like around 27 or 28 degrees, uh, tilted towards us. And right now they're about 13 degrees tilted towards us. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So they're about halfway there. So, Yeah. So let's, yeah, I had a pretty good view of Saturn down the grasslands. I didn't put too much power on it, but uh, yeah, I was able to kind of get the ring, the main rings and and some of the moons and and show it to people. But maybe what we'll do is just start off with uh, just basically how, how do you, uh, how do you kind of observe Saturn? Like what, what do you need to just, just to ID the planet? Like what do you need to, to identify it? Do you need a telescope or anything like that or? Uh, no, you could see it with your eyes, even from the city, like from a light polluted sky. Um, you should be able to see Saturn if you know where to look. So, you know, the key thing there is use your planetarium software or one of the many online resources that are out there just to find out where where it is. And then once you have that uh, that location, it's pretty easy to to spot. And to my eye, like it's, uh, you know, it'll look stellar just with your eye. Um, but there, to me, there is a little bit of a creamy tone to it. Like it's not a stark white star in the sky. And, oh no. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's fairly bright compared to the stars that it's nearby right now. Yeah. So it, it really does stand out. Yeah. And what will binoculars show? What, what have you seen of Saturn in binoculars, Shane? Um, well, you can see some of the moons sometimes with binoculars, but, um, Saturn itself starts to look like a little bit of an oval. Um, I know your show notes here say a football shape and uh, that's perfect. That's a great description. Um, but you, you like uh, with, with kind of the usual, you, I don't know, backyard binoculars of say like eight by 42 or even my 12 by 36s, you're really not distinguishing the rings. It's just like no. this, you know, strange shape basically. And that confirms that you're, you know, you're seeing Saturn. Yeah, it's like out of focus almost, but you never can get it as good a focus as the nearby stars. Yeah, exactly. So, and moving on to like a like a telescopic view. Um, oh, I was going to say, and I added this to the notes, is right now, like one thing you can do with binoculars is um, Saturn is going through its retrograde motion. Don't worry, I'm not going to like predict your love life or finances. Um but it's going backwards in the sky right now. So it's moving a little bit towards the West each night. And uh, if you use your binoculars, you can, you can actually sort of track it amongst the stars and actually see that Westerly motion. And then uh, I think uh, however many months from now, it's going to switch direction and, and then start to resume its uh, Easterly path. It just, cause we're, we're kind of overtaking it right now while it's uh, at opposition time. Mm-hmm. So through a telescope, um, what, what size telescope do you need to really begin seeing the rings? Do you need like great big telescope to see the rings or what do you know? No, not at all. Like my, my three inch, uh, telescope shows the rings exceptionally well. Uh, I've seen the Cassini division with my three inch. I haven't tried with, um, like a 60 millimeter. I'm not sure uh, what it looks like there, but, uh, pretty much any telescope is going to show you the rings and, and, um, you know, if you're able to use some magnification, if the seeing supports that you're going to see a lot of detail there. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like I, 
I've observed Saturn lots in my in my uh, TAC 60. And uh, yeah, you can see the Cassini division. It's very small. And, you know, my max power there is around 100 or so. So uh, you're really not able to get the magnification up. But you can begin to see, uh, you know, just that beautiful ring uh, around the planet and, and the shadow of the ring, uh, shadow of the planet on the rings and some some of that kind of kind of details. So yeah, I think pretty much any any telescope that can do 30 power or more, 30x or more is uh, is going to give you uh, a pretty good view of like the whole planet, ring, moon system uh, in general. Uh, don't you think? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And the bigger the telescope, the larger the scale. So it does make seeing some of the details a little easier. Yep. And like we said before, the rings are tilted about 13 degrees uh, towards us right now. So they're they're very easy to see uh, in the telescope, um, at least for, for this opposition. Maybe on the next one, they won't be as easy to see. I haven't sort of looked that far ahead. But one of the things that uh, that I find interesting about observing Saturn is, do you ever take a look at the Seelinger effect? Well, you've talked about it. Um, yeah, this is pretty interesting. So why don't you why don't you explain what this is? Yeah. So around the day of opposition, um, you might see a greater brightening in Saturn's rings compared to the disk. So typically the rings are going to look to be about the same brightness as the disk, um, at least the, the A ring, the outer ring. I find the inner rings look a little darker than the disk. They have almost like an orange or a very mild orange peel look to them. Um, but right around, um, you know, that day of opposition, pretty much on the day of opposition, you got to look for this. Um, you might see the rings get super bright and this is called the Seelinger effect after the, the person who discovered it. And what you're seeing is that because the rings are made out of ice, these little tiny ice particles, uh, at opposition, um, they're all going to be illuminated and, they're going to be illuminated uh, in the right geometrical orientation um, that uh, that reflects all of that light back towards us. So none of the ring particles will be in shadow. They'll all be directly visible. And so by that, uh, you know, the, then the whole ring system itself will appear. It's kind of like this. If you're if you're watching like a car in the distance traveling along a highway. And there's, there's going to be maybe a turn in the road or something, and it's a beautiful, clear day. Like right now, we're having a, a pretty clear day. There's very mild haze, but it's pretty clear. And if a car was traveling along the road on the other side of the valley from me, it gets to a point where it's going to reflect the sun back. You see, just, just for a very short moment, you'll, you'll see that sun reflect back towards you. And then once the car passes that point it continues on and it's you can still see it maybe but it's not nearly as bright it's the same thing with those uh, particles uh in the rings so um let's see i i've seen this through like a 10 inch telescope before and uh you can definitely see it like especially what you do is you start observing it you start note noting how bright the ring uh systems are compared to the planetary disk and then as you get closer and at the day of opposition, and this is only going to occur on the day of opposition, um, you need to actually be familiar with how bright or not bright they are in comparison to the disk in order to note that uh, that difference in brightness. But yeah, it's pretty cool to see. Hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, those rare, those rare events are super cool to kind of mark on your calendar and, 
you know, see what, see, see if you can see it. So because this one has such a short window, um, you know, if it's clear out, I'll certainly be trying for it. Yeah. Mention the rings, uh, briefly. Um, I've spent a long time hunting down the rings. I'm a little bit rusty right now. Cause I, I really went through like a, like a really big Saturn obsession there uh, for a while. Uh, the main rings we see and they, they start from the out and go in is uh, the a b and c rings uh mm-hmm. there's a d ring that's that's much fainter on the inside there's actually like tons of ring systems but those are like the main ones that you're going to see through the telescope and uh the there's all these gaps uh between the rings that kind of separate the the you know the different rings and the cassini division is uh is the main uh gap but sort of in that cassini division there's also like the hugens Kuiper, barnard gaps there's all these other gaps uh, as you kind of get towards the the edge of the the rings, we also have the Keeler gap, and uh, yeah, there's all kinds of interesting phenomena to see. But in my experience, you really would need like a very good, like a phenomenal eight inch uh, reflector, and you want to have really good eyepieces, like with low uh, element numbers or like Pentax XWs or something like that. Um, but in my experience, like a, like uh, I used a ten inch um, a few times that that my friend Peter had made. And he's an exceptional mirror maker. And uh, this 10 inch was just ridiculously good. And, oh, I've never had as good views of Saturn. Like you could actually really see like the the ring um, systems. It looks like grooves on a record kind of thing. It was pretty ridiculous. But uh, yeah, I kind of think like a 10 inch scope is sort of like the ideal size because big enough to really give you that resolution and the brightness and the variances in the brightness, while at the same time, it's not so big that you're just really plagued by um, atmospheric conditions. When the conditions are good enough to show you all that through the 10 inch, um, they can occur frequently enough. Um, you're, you're really going to get some, some good views through the, uh, through the 10 inch telescope. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, some of those like uh, finer ring details are great targets for large apertures. You know, if you're mm-hmm. 10 or 12 inches, um, you know, spend an entire night looking at Saturn and just try to catch those brief moments when, you know, the atmosphere steadies a little bit. Yeah. And, uh, it, you know, it might be, it might be surprising how much detail you can see in those rings. Uh, cause there's, there is a lot of different, uh, kind of shading or brightness levels within the different zones or sections of those rings. Yeah. If you don't have a big telescope, though, one of the things that, uh, that you can do, and this is a lot of fun, too, is to uh, track down those, what is it, two, four, there's like six fairly bright moons. Mm-hmm. Um, Titan is is really bright, super easy to see. Like I put just a low power eyepiece in my telescope, threw it on Saturn, and then, you know, I can just show like members of the public as they walk up. Seeing the other ones uh, aren't as easy. I put a little uh, image from... Uh, what was it? It's uh, Sky Night Magazine had a nice little image of Saturn and its moons and uh, shows Titan, Dione, Mimis, Enceladus, uh, Tethys, and Rhea. And those are the ones like I've been able to track down through my uh, my five-inch uh, refractor. Um, I find those are, are actually pretty easy to see in like a, like a decent size, like a four or five-inch refractor, like an eight-inch reflector uh, will show all those moons. And it can be fun to kind of learn them all on that. I remember I was at a star party once and somebody asked me like, oh, what are the moons? And I'm like, okay, this is this moon. And I kind of was really on my Saturn kick then. I could tell them about each of the moons and that sort of thing. And it is kind of cool to actually go. And because we've had uh, we had the Cassini spacecraft there for a while, then 
they they have all kinds of science and research that is still getting distilled out from from what they were doing there. So yeah, it's a lot of fun to kind of go and uh, and kind of read up on that stuff. And then then you can go and look at this stuff for yourself, just at the small telescope. Mm-hmm. And, and these moons uh, will look like background stars, so it is important to just yeah. know the location. Or, you know, if you have a pen and paper, do a little sketch, uh, you know, and plot all of those, you know, what, what you think are the moons and then go look at your software and, uh, you know, see, see if you can identify what you saw, whether or not they were, you know, solar system objects or indeed stars. Yeah, it's in a, it, it, it's in an area that there's, it's not in a really rich uh, area of stars right now in uh, Western Capricornus. Mm-hmm. Um, as it makes its way towards the West though, I think it does get into sort of the outskirts of the Milky Way. So right now is, is a pretty good time to go and hunt down those moons. Uh, something you want to do. I, I think that's a lot of fun. So I encourage people, people to do that. Yeah. Be curious to hear what people are observing uh, for Saturn as we, uh, as we get into this opposition. Mm-hmm. Do you ever use uh, any filters, Chris, when you're looking at Saturn? Yes. Yes. It's a very good question. I get asked about filters a lot. Um, I have some controversial <laughs> views on filters, as you know, Shane. I'm a mm-hmm. I'm a filter fanatic, and mm-hmm. uh, I have found um, that in general, most filters um, are not something that I recommend people to use, with the with the following exceptions. Um, if you want to use filters buy a decent set of just like the red, green, blue, yellow um, filters from either Batter or Lumicon. Those those are like, that's what you want. And they're way more expensive because they're really good filters and they're going to do what you want the filter to do. Um, a lot of the time I see people go out and buy those big filter sets um, of just, they're, they're just like the, almost like some of them have like a peel and stick color gel Anyway, and and those are often too dark, especially for the small instruments that we're using. I find with the Lumicon and the Batter, um, they're made out of like shot optical glass and uh, they're dye in the glass and it's done properly so you don't lose that much light. And they, they will begin to reveal some subtle details. However, about three or four years ago, I bought, maybe it wasn't that long ago, I can't remember. Um, but a few years ago, I bought a, a Batter contrast booster filter. And that's all I use now on the planets. It doesn't matter what planet I'm looking at. I use the batter contrast booster. And to me, to my eye, in comparison with the really good Lumicon filters that I have, I found that I can see most of the details that any one of those individual filters might might yield. So for example, when I was using the Lumicons, I'd have to switch between a whole pile of filters to kind of get like a good overall view of like maybe certain details, like some details you, you can't even see without the filter. But I found with the contrast booster, I get like 75% of all the details that all the filters um, individually would give. Um, and that's just a, a spectacular view. So when I'm viewing planets, I basically, if I'm going to do like a planetary session, I'll just screw the contrast filter into my three and a half millimeter Pentax and just leave it in there. I just don't even remove it. If I'm going to do multiple nights, I just won't even take it off the eyepiece. I just leave it on the eyepiece because mm-hmm. it, it's that good. And it's not expensive. I forget what it is, but the better contrast booster will cost you. I think it will cost you about what a good set of five regular filters will cost you. So maybe they're like 60 or a hundred bucks for just like a, like a 
what do you call them? Like the disc that you get of five filters. Mm-hmm. I think the batter is the same price as that. So I recommend people just go buy that batter filter and not uh, mess around with all these filters. What, what do you think of that recommendation, Shane? Yeah, I really like that filter a lot. And um, for all of the reasons you said, like it, it really does um, seem to show as much detail as any of the other color, uh, colored filters will show. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I really, really like about it is it doesn't introduce that much color to what you're seeing. Um, you know, when you're using, uh, like, you know, if you look at filter recommendations, um, like I think a blue filter is sometimes recommended for Saturn. Yeah. Well, I don't like looking at a blue Saturn. No. <laughs> you know, it just, it no. ruins it for me. But if you yeah. use the contrast booster, you like it, it, it adds like maybe a warmer tone to what you're looking at. But it, to me, it's really not noticeable. It's easy to forget that you're, that you have anything in the, in the light path. Cause it really doesn't change the color that much, Yeah. but it does enhance what you're able to see. Yeah. Um, one other filter that I just throw into the ring here for people to consider, if you have a larger aperture telescope, maybe a big reflector, sometimes because they gather so much light. Uh, sometimes, uh, it washes out some of the detail. So getting even just like a neutral density filter to, to drop the light a little bit will help you see more of the subtle, you know, cloud banding on the disc, as well as some of the, uh, detail within the rings. Yeah. Oh, and as we head towards the Mars opposition, so the only other filter I use, um, on the, on like a planet that, that I'm observing as much as the contrast booster and does nearly as around as good a job. Mm-hmm. is the it's like a dedicated mars filter i don't know if they're made anymore um was that the teleview mars filter because they had a dedicated they had two like a mars a and a mars b i think no i just have it's just like oh, the yeah. celestron. celestron yeah celestron yeah. and orion had mars filters that's um, right yeah 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 that's right so i found one and it was super cheap i forget what it was but it was like 30 bucks or something on Amazon or something um, at last Mars opposition. And I read so many good reviews. I thought, Oh, well, I'll give it a shot. I'm, I'm a really big Mars observer. And uh, that, that filter is ridiculously good too, for not a whole lot of money. So when I'm, when I'm observing Mars, I flip back and forth and uh, some nights it's the contrast booster. And some nights it's the Celestron Mars filter it just depends on what clouds are visible on Mars. And I like to observe Martian clouds. That's, that's kind of my thing. I like to observe um, fog on Mars and I like to observe um, like the polar hood as it's forming up over the polar cap. These, these are some pretty subtle details. Mm-hmm. And uh, I find like those filters um, will, will show those details quite, quite well, s- such that I can just like, if someone's walking down the street and say, Hey, want to see some clouds going across the desert on Mars? And, walks over and, oh yeah that's kind of neat and continues on their walk probably never thinks about it again you know mm-hmm. but uh yeah I, I recommend that filter as well but yeah in general the contrast booster i think that people can buy that filter and then just kind of not worry about filters again that's uh, for planets mm-hmm. anyway yeah 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 sometimes i put the contrast booster in the diagonal so that i you can switch eyepieces and the filter remains in the light path oh um, yeah that's a good idea and and some people stack filters as well like you can you can screw filters into other filters so that you, you know, you have multiple in play all at the same time. I've never really gotten into that, but you know, that's something else you can experiment as well with, uh, just to see if it, you know, enhances the view. Yeah. I've got all my filters screwed together on the, 
pocket behind me here where I keep all my gear. Well, actually, yeah, that's, that's like, I used to keep my filters in the individual cases, Yeah, um, but that's a pain. So I just screwed yeah. them all together. So it's like one long tube of 12 filters, <laughs> you yeah. know, I put eyepiece caps on either side. And then, you know, when there's a filter I want, it's just unscrew, you know, that, that part of the tube and grab the filter and go. Yeah. I found like these weird little, I don't know what they are. Um, I don't know what they're for, but they were at a craft store and I was just like walking by, I was just like looking around. I, I enjoy looking in the craft store. My wife is a, is a, is a big knitter. I'm actually not knitter. She does crochet. I'm sitting here watching her crochet while I record that she's outside <laughs> sitting in the shade. Um, but, uh, they had like, yeah, these, these different size ones and they're perfect for one and a quarter and two inch filters. So, uh, what I do is I kind of group my two inch filters together based on like, I have a couple of threes and UHCs and H betas and all kinds of different two inch filters. So I group them by their type. And then uh, I have some generic, like just regular, like UHC ones that I kind of group those. And then some low bandpass ones um, that I group together as well. And then I just kind of screw those individual ones all together. But yeah, I have like a ridiculous amount of two inch filters. It's pretty easy to convince me to buy a two inch uh, nebula filter. Um, yeah, it doesn't, I, I love nebula filters. They're, they're so, so helpful, but uh, we're going to do an episode on those shortly. So I will stop talking about filters and uh, see if you have anything left to add to this episode, Shane. Let's wrap it up. All right. Thanks, Shane. Thanks everybody for listening. Be sure to subscribe to actual astronomy in your pod catching software. And we always appreciate your Patreon support. If you want to send us observing reports, you can send them to actualastronomy at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com. <laughs>